Welcome to Faith in Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. One of the things, of course, we can notice on people are their ears. And um, uh, recently I was um, with a with a group of uh, people and it was interesting how the... I just noticed that the shape of ears can be quite quite different. But when you look at the the shape of the ear and all the contours and little grooves, this is in the outer ear, the fleshy part of the ear. It's it, you know it has this particular shape uh, about it. And so while all the, all ears on different people are sort of different, some of the outer shapes that the overall um, inner construction and there's a, a general pattern to the the shape of the ear. And, of course, that applies to some, you know, all our different organs and, and our noses and eyes and this sort of thing. They have this, this, this um, you know, basic functional shape and which is related to their function. And recently I read a, a very interesting article on the ear by a scientist that has written some chapters in um, or wrote a chapter in my book in six days um, Professor Andy uh, McIntosh and he's a, uh, a mathematician with uh, both a, a PhD doctorate and a DSC Doctor of Science doctorate very clever a mathematician and he's very interested in design in in nature and he um, co-authored a book a few years ago called The uh, Wonders of uh, Creation, uh, Design in a Fallen World. And it was co-authored by Dr. Stuart Burgess. And Dr. Stuart Burgess is a, another professor at a um, university in, in the UK, in England, and, um, and also co-authored with uh, another uh, person, uh, Brian Edwards looking at all different aspects. And one of those aspects they looked at was the amazing uh, design in the ear, the incredible design in the human ear. I know I've spoken about this in, in the past, but I, reading this article um, refreshed and uh, pointed out some interesting things that I certainly wasn't aware of. And, of course, the Bible talks about the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. That's Proverbs twenty twelve, And so the, we, we know that the ear actually, like the eye, is powerful evidence for in intelligent design. It must have been uh, designed. Now, we know how sound or any noise that we hear is the result of little compressions in the air. So, um, and these compressions in the air, uh, there'll be a high pressure followed by a low pressure, and depending on the uh, the depth of the pressure or the, the the increase in pressure and the decrease in pressure, these and the rate at which these little increases and decreases in pressure occur, which is called the frequency, the number of these pressure cycles per second is the frequency, what we call the frequency. And the depending on the frequency is the type of sound that we hear. 
And so what happens in our ear, of course, is we have this amazing detection system to pick up and detect these sounds. Now, some of these sounds are produced by very, very small changes in pressure, extremely small changes in pressure. And as a result then, that uh, those changes in pressure have to be amplified up and detected, and then that change in pressure has to be converted into an electrical impulse. And, of course, the device that does that is scientifically called a transducer. So the ear is mechanism is an amazing transducer that converts mechanical pressure energy into electrical energy and retains this signal that then goes through to the brain so that we hear things. And when we look at the the ear, we know, you know, the ear we have this this outer part of the, the human ear, the decorative part, um, and then that leads to this, this canal, this little opening that goes into our head, which is, of course, the, the ear canal. And at the end of that ear canal is the eardrum, and that's why it's very important for, you know, young children not to stick, you know, something in their in their ear, one of mum's knitting needles or something like that, because they can puncture that eardrum and that can lead to, you know, deafness. Um, and along the um, lining of the, um, the ear canal, there are little ligaments. And then just behind the eardrum is a little hammer system and uh, three little bones um, called uh, ossicles. And then uh, part of those is another little bone called uh, an incus. And then... Right behind that is another little bone called um, a stirrup, the stirrup. Now, these bones, the little uh, malice or the little hammer, the, um, and, the, and then there's a series of little lever bones. It's a bit hard to explain this, of course, without a diagram in front, but if you can imagine you, you've got the eardrum and then connected to that eardrum are a series of tiny little bones, the smallest bones in the human body, that are connected in the back of that to that eardrum so that any little deflection in that eardrum is actually magnified through a series of levers um, and uh, through to the uh, stirrup. And, of course, that part where the, those little um, lever system is is called the, the middle ear. And, of course, the middle ear has a drain system. The Estuchian tube comes away from that. Now, the, uh, the little stirrup system, then, is part of another amazing amplifying system that connects to the, um, the, uh, the cochlea, um, which is the, a, a long tube, a coiled-up tube, that extends uh, around, and at the end of that um, uh, tube, of course, we have the organ of uh, corti, and um, it's yeah, it's quite a, um, a a fascinating structure. When look, I mean, even within that itself, there are 
all sorts of um, membranes and um, and so forth within the cochlea if we uh, unwound the uh, cochlea and all the membranes and um, you know bases that are um, uh, and and parts that make up that uh, particular tube um, uh, are quite uh, amazing and so those uh, vibrations that that ear, the eardrum picks up um, uh, are transferred, as I said, from they hit the eardrum, they're transferred through the tiny little bones um, into the cochlea, and then it's and the complexity of the of the parts that make up these um, components are actually all the, the you know there's inner parts within, like within the lever system, we talk about these little bones, but those little bones have little joints and little levers and they're special cells that are made up that um, allow the movement at these times without falling apart and so forth, the hinging, all these sort of mechanisms. And what astounds me is that all these structures are encoded for in the DNA. So the DNA code, which is made up of four types of chemical structures, which again are arrangements of of atoms that make up a particular chemical, which we call a base. And there's four of these bases that we give the names A, C, T and G, the abbreviations to, uh, to. These stand for the chemical names. And using combinations of those um, chemicals all strung together, those combinations can be read by an amazing molecular machine called a ribosome, which is made up of over 300,000 atoms, of different types of atoms. And this machine can read the sequence of those letters and then arrange proteins and other um, compounds together to help build the cells that make up this structure, that make these bones, and they grow in place in just the right place. And one of the fascinating things is that these little bones, for example, that we um, talked about there, um, that uh, make up the the inner ear, those little amplifying bones, little lever systems, a little hammer and so forth, they don't increase in size after we're born. So up until we're born, they're growing, and then when we're born, they don't increase in size anymore. I think that's it's quite fascinating. And so um, this um, ear in the in humans, the ear canal is um, about twenty millimeters long, not quite an inch long, um, four fifths of an inch long. Um, in other animals, of course, it's a different size and can be longer. And as we talked about earlier, the human ear can hear these different frequencies. So these little pressure pulses, um, the human ear can hear from about 20 little pulses per second up to nearly 20,000 little pulses per second. But as we get older, we tend to lose that ability to hear those very high pulses. I know I have uh, hearing tests uh, reasonably regularly uh, as part of uh, work, health and safety, and uh, I know my I don't hear much above 
about 16,000 cycles uh, per second. And so I've lost that ability to hear those very high sounds. But, of course, young people can hear those uh, very high sounds. On the other hand, if we look at the ear system in dogs, they can hear not quite as low as us as 20 uh, little pulses per second, but from about 65 pulses, but they can hear all the way up to 44,000 pulses per second. So that's um, uh, amazing. Actually, just reading the article um, uh, here too, the uh, with cats, um, and I don't know how many animals they've, they've tested, but apparently cats can hear from 55 pulses per second up to 77,000 pulses per second. So that would be, you know, ultrasound. We, we couldn't hear those pulses, but animals can hear those, um, those pulses. It's quite interesting that, um, you know, the, the human voice can produce these beautiful range of harmonies, uh, typically between about 2,000 pulses per second to 5,000 pulses per second. One of the interesting things that um, I read about was the, how we hear water running. And it's interesting, it appears that research that's been done um, reasonably recently, actually, was only uh, published in 2015 on the Proceedings of the Meetings on Acoustics uh, conference that was... Um, Heard. And this was a study looking at ocean bubble um, acoustics and looking at, you know, a sort of uh, you, when you sound to clean things. And it appears that um, the sounds of running water is a result of little, of tiny little bubbles in the water popping, uh, little tiny little bubbles of air. And as these little bubbles air, they vibrate at a frequency that depends on their size. So flowing water produces a range of audible frequencies so that we hear the sound of a bubbling brook or a flowing waterfall or crashing waves. And these are made by these um, uh, air bubbles that are released at that time and that are vibrating and they, um, of course, then vibrate our ear, and that's how we, they, we hear the sounds of these waters. I thought, it's really, really amazing. One of the things is that, um, uh, that we, our hearing range is appropriate for us to hear these sounds of nature. It's um, you know, quite, quite fascinating, I think, that our our hearing range is appropriate for us to enjoy music, to enjoy speech um, and uh, so forth. It's interesting how the, the cochlear, if, uh, re- reading um, how it's sort of like this seashell type coil that's, that's coiled up and um, inside that cochlear is sort of a, a membrane and of course, it this membrane tapers uh, along the cochlea, so it's a bit like a xylophone. If you look at a xylophone, notice that the the little bars on the xylophone that we you tap with the hammer to make the notes are, are, tend to be different lengths all the way along. They're different lengths, and that's how they produce the the different sounds. So it's the same 
with the inside the cochlea there, we've got um, these membranes that and this this tapers, and this um, allows the different parts of the membrane actually will pick up and they'll have a what we call a natural frequency of vibration, and so they will resonate and in that way amplify. So different objects have what we call a natural frequency of vibration, and that's why uh, you may you may have seen a a picture of a. Um, um, of a bridge in the United States that during wind it began swinging and as it was swinging, the the rate at which it was swinging, the natural vibration of the swinging happened to coincide or was very close to what we call the natural frequency of the structure. And what that means is that it absorbed the energy and so each vibration added to each vibration, sort of like when you're swinging some, pushing someone on a swing, if you push them a little bit, and then you, you just match when they came, you push them again just a little bit, their swing will keep on increasing and eventually they're swinging really big. But unless you swing, unless you push them just at the time when they've just about stopped and you push them again, if you push them halfway up, the, the swing, it's not going to amplify and you'll interfere with it. And so if there's a natural frequency and this sound is coming in at a natural frequency by having the membrane at um, uh, uh, tapering, that means parts of the membrane have these different natural frequencies so it absorbs the energy and therefore amplifies it. So it's quite amazing. But then, of course... We have the device at the end that converts this vibration into electrical engineering. And this is one of the areas that really challenges and fascinates engineers. Um, I remember when I was working at the BHP Research Laboratories, we were looking at some of these transducers and converting mechanical energy into um electrical energy, particularly when you're looking at very, very fine amounts of um, electrical energy. And so what happens is we've got the cilia there um, and these cilia, these tiny little fine hairs. Now, these hairs that compose the, the cilia there are absolutely amazingly fine. Um, the, the thickness is in the order of about 170th of the thickness of a fine human hair. So some human hair is quite coarse. So if you get a fairly fine human hair, these little cilia, these tiny little um, hairs that are part of that nerve at the end of the cochlea there, they, um, or in the, in the cochlea, they um, vibrate and they operate, a, it's quite interesting, a, a little uh, membrane that touches the cilia and this actually opens a tiny little um, oh, trapdoor, puts a little trapdoor attached to a spring. And this spring, it's a tiny little spring-type structure, is only a few nanometers thick. Now, a nanometer is a millionth of a millimetre. And so this is a tiny little spring, only a few millionths 
of a millimetre thick, and it's about a hundred millionths of a millimetre long. And um, one end pulls on this tiny little trapdoor, which is on the side of the one of these little hairs. And this is this is one of the smallest examples um, of of springs in the in the natural world. Now, what this does is this tiny little spring, this tiny little mechanical spring, right, which is operated by the mechanical energy that is coming from the sound vibration. So the sound is a pulse of air. Uh, sometimes when you're in a really, really loud concert and you actually feel physically those pulse of air. So but when there's a tiny little, very, very faint sound, like a little moth flying past your ear or something like that, um, then that is amplified and operates one of these little springs and it opens this little trapdoor that allows charged ions, and ions are charged atoms that are flowing in a fluid called the, um, the in this fluid-filled cochlea, and they then, the movement of those ions excite little nerves and so the ions are carrying electric charge and they excite the little nerves and that sends a signal then, an electrical signal, so the, the charge on those um, ions affects then or generates a tiny electrical current passed along the nerve to the uh, cerebral cortex in the brain. And um, it's interesting, there's... Nerves. There's about one nerve for a whole range of hertzes. So, in the upper range, there's about two to three uh, cycles per different cycles per second per nerve ending. Uh, up around uh, your sixteen thousand uh, cycles per second. This sort of thing. There, the one nerve would cover say sixteen oh sixteen thousand one, sixteen thousand two, sixteen thousand three vibrations per second. Whereas down in the uh, lower inch frequencies, like uh, 60 or 100 cycles per second, there's a single nerve for each different cycle per second. I, I find this absolutely fascinating, this structure. You know, we look at ears and, um, uh, you know, and some people have their ears pierced and all this sort of thing. But behind that outside structure, as we go into this structure... There's an amazing structure there. Now, evolutionists have to believe that this amazing structure arose by chance somehow with all these different parts. But when you think about it, unless all the parts there, they're not going to work. And the codes are so complex, like the, the structures for the little lever systems. And again, we can draw the little lever systems, draw schematic diagrams of them and so forth. We don't realise that there are different cells involved in all the different, like the, as I mentioned earlier, the little different joints and all these sort of things, all the different components that make up those different structures. It's all right to talk about the cilia and how fine they are, but all the cells that make up the cilia all, all make the little tiny little springs. Right? And we can be amazed that, yeah, they're so tiny. But let's hang on. We've got a code that has to make the molecules that make up the structures, the long-chain polymers that coil in such a way and have that springiness in that particular uh, situation. 
And then we have to have the cells that make up the little hinge on the little trap doors. And then we have to have the, the um, code to make the fluid that bakes the, the – and have the ions there, the charged atoms there at just the right levels. There's codes to make all these different components that are there – and these codes are using the letters A, C, T, and G. They're nothing like those structures, but combinations of those codes are then interpreted by a code-reading machine that enables the cell to build all those parts. And as that, those first couple of cells come together, as the first male and female um, gamut cells join together, whether it's in a dog or a cat or a human, and they grow, those cells are programmed at the right time, some of those cells will begin to form the ear of that animal. Now, evolutionists have to believe that that amazing mechanism arose by chance mutations. And we know it's absolutely impossible. We don't, occur, we don't see new types of sense organs evolving in any animals or anything. Everything stays the same. It's powerful, powerful evidence for a creator. But you know there's more. I was reading an article on bats, and I learned something about bats because, you know, bats have amazing ears too. It's interesting, you've got the big bats. And I used to learn, you know, bats use sonar and emit sounds and so forth to um, detect their prey. Well, one of the things I learned was that the big bats actually don't do that. Um, I didn't realise that there's only... Uh, very few species and only one genus use echolocation. That's in the big bats, what they call the megabats. However, the microbats all use echolocation. And one of the interesting things about echolocation is when you think about it, and they use sound ranges beyond that of the human ear um, that uh, humans can't hear. But it's interesting that Bats emit these sounds, but it's extremely intense, so intense that when they emit these uh, sounds and they have different ways, some emit them through um, their tongue and different uh, sounds, different types of um, fleshy appendages and so forth, and their nostrils to make these sounds are so intense it would send them deep. But it's very interesting. The bat's ears are designed in such a way that the middle ear muscles contract when the bat is calling so it doesn't deafen itself. And then the muscles relax so the bat can hear the resulting echo, which is a cause of much lower intensity because it's being reflected off something. And I thought, isn't that amazing that there's so much design in, in nature that makes it work? Otherwise, you know, the bats would have gone deaf. And yet evolution has to assume that these things... Uh, arose by by chance it's um i think there's so much evidence there so we have so much evidence in nature for god creating us and you know as the the bible just clearly states you know it's in proverbs the hearing ear and the seeing eye the lord has made them both proverbs 2012 how true evolution can't explain the origin of those things. Um, you've been listening to Faith and Science, and remember, if you'd like to re-listen to um, this uh, program or any of the past programs, just uh, Google 
3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the listen button and a number of different programs will come up there. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.